Welcome to Control the Controllables. My name is John McGahan from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we have created a podcast, bringing some of the top tennis athletes and tennis coaches from across the globe together. We hope you enjoy our next episode. Welcome to episode 48 of Control the Controllables. Today we have Dan Cox. Dan was 206 in the world, ATP, ranked extremely highly, uh, very good player, um, one of yeah top, top five, top ten in Britain for many years. Dan stopped playing tennis back in 2016. And during the pandemic, when everyone else was maybe stopping playing and trying different things, uh, Dan decided it was time to to try and play tennis again. Got himself in great shape. Uh, he talks about his story throughout tennis, um, some of the anxieties he felt maybe being British and playing playing at Wimbledon, uh, which I think is a, is a very interesting subject. To to then what his hopes are as he makes his way back onto the court now. Um, it's a fantastic story, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, just while I've got your attention with other podcasts, the Neil Harmon, our latest episode before Dan, has been kind of flying with the downloads. Um, it is, and I didn't realise it at the time, it's an exclusive. It's the first time Neil has spoken about his plagiarism charge back in back in 2014. Um, yeah, it's the first time he's spoken to anyone anywhere and, and opened up about it. So I would I would say that is a definite one to listen to as well. Um and yeah, that's 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 me. That's that's my plea for you to listen to a couple more. Uh I we love the reviews that we're getting, so so keep them coming, keep sharing. Uh we've got lots of great ideas for where the podcast's gonna continue going, lots of great guests that are up and coming. But for now, I'm going to pass you over to, to Dan Cox. So a massive welcome to Control the Controllables. Dan Cox, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. It's, uh, for, tho- for those listening, Dan was a tennis player once upon a time um, and was ranked as high as 206 in the world uh, in singles. You know, had, a, had a successful playing career, stopped playing in 2016 and at the end of 2016. And then lockdown, you've got the juices flowing again, and I'm hearing that you're making a bit of a comeback. Uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting one, really. I mean, uh, obviously a bit of boredom over lockdown, stuck in the house quite a bit. Um, actually, before lockdown, I actually I bought a spinning bike, so I was right. quite lucky. Um, okay. uh, so that saved the boredom a little bit. Um, so I started to get in a little bit of shape. I've never been sort of out of shape, even when I stopped playing. I, you know, I kept reasonably good shape uh but I wasn't kind of going to the gym all the time and that type of thing so um yeah I just started doing a bit more exercise doing a bit of uh, mobility stuff uh, just to kill the time and um I actually lost quite a bit of weight um you know not that I needed to but I actually lost quite a bit of weight just from doing general exercise and yeah. um I, I don't know why but my my wife just said to me said does this not make you want to start playing again you know yeah, like yeah. getting in shape that type of thing and I was a bit like it just got me thinking a little bit like um sort of when I stopped playing I had a bit of a, a few niggles like a bit of a knee injury my yeah. back wasn't great and 
and to be honest with you, I actually, my body felt pretty good. Yeah. And um, so I started to think about it and I was like, Do you know what, I'm just going to try and keep in shape just in case, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it kind of gave me something to look forward to rather than being down in the dumps thinking what a place and what a, a period we're, we're coming into, the unknown. And it kind of gave me something to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it was quite an interesting thing, really. And then obviously when we started to, to be allowed out of the house a little bit and tennis was allowed to be played outside, uh, started to train a little bit, um, felt pretty good and started to, you know, obviously practice more and more and, and um, yeah, it just went from there, really. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, because obviously the lockdown, I think the lockdown's been fantastic in lots of ways. Obviously, in, in lots of ways it hasn't. But so many people seem to have used the time to reflect, used the time to reset goals, you're the first person I've spoken to that's used the time to resurrect a playing career. Um, but I think it's, I think it's brilliant, but just a game for the listeners aged, age 29, you know, so stop playing around about 26, you know, now 29. Is it a proper comeback? Is it a, you know, you've got the bit between your teeth that, you know what, I want to, I've got some goals and I've got unfinished business or is it, there's some tournaments in the UK right now, make a little bit of money and see what happens. Um, I think for me, the, the, the money side of it and the, these tournaments, I didn't really find out until after I started to think about the, the uh, sort of coming back um, into tennis. So it wasn't really for me to kind of earn money or anything like that. It just felt like, you know, you know you're only on this earth once. And yeah. if you really wanted to do something, you should do it as long as possible. And obviously, you know, being married now, you know, when I was, oh, what would have been? Uh, I would have been 27 when I got married. You know, it just kind of changed my whole perspective on life a little bit. You know, like yeah. when I was a bit younger, I was a little bit sort of tense and everything. I was kind of worried about everything. And I'll talk to you a little bit later about, you know, after I played Wimbledon a few times, I got quite bad anxiety, which I, I've talked about a couple of times and uh, to various people, but I struggled a little bit with that. And I don't know, it just changed my whole outlook on, on life a little bit. And there's more to tennis uh, sorry more to life than just tennis and yeah. and because obviously it's been such a big part of my life um yeah. it, it was kind of weird for me when I stopped I didn't really know where I was going and I think also when you're at that crossroads you're thinking shall I carry on shall I give something up it was a bit like I was kind of panicking what I was going to do after yeah. after I stopped playing and um I kind of I already had my coaching badges um when I was injured when I think I was about 20 or 21 when I had wrist surgery so I did yeah. that I did those while I was injured so I kind of had that to fall back on and you know sort of do a bit of coaching so when I stopped I did a little bit of coaching I did a few bits with some traveling um tour players um and it, it was it was quite hard at the beginning I mean you know you're traveling and you, you you're not number one anymore do you know what I mean yeah. you're you're helping somebody else yeah, do yeah. their bit which is it's a complete change of mindset. At the beginning, I, I, I thought it was okay. And then I started to travel a little bit too much. Um, and it, it just, I don't know, I just didn't really feel that that was the right fit for me to be a traveling coach at that point in my life. Whether yeah. it'll be, you know, sort of later on in, in, in life, maybe is something to think about. But um, because I'd spent so much time away from home for my own tennis, yeah. I felt like I needed to be at home a little bit more. Um, so actually, um, uh, I actually set up, um, 
my own club in Lincoln now. So uh, it's called Lincoln Tennis Academy. So we've got um, three courts um, in a permanent dome structure. Um, so we kind of set up that and that's where it's about 10 minutes from my house. So um, that's what I've pretty much been doing, um, uh, you know, with, a, with another coach, Steve Wood. Yeah. Uh, and one of my old coaches from when I was younger, Dave Williams. Um, so, yeah, we've, we're kind of um, setting that up. And obviously we've been going for about just under a year. And then, you know, obviously this lockdown stuff has, hasn't helped. Yeah. And so it's been, been quite a difficult period. You know, we just kind of got, the, you know, the rhythm going with everything and the program set up. And, and obviously, you know, as yourself running a program in lockdown, it's a bit like, you know, uh, it's a bit of a yeah. punch in the stomach, you know, when you feel like you've Absolutely. got something good and, you know, it's, t- you know, it's, uh, it's just a bit annoying. So, yeah, I say, I think just the, ho- the whole, you know, sort of period, the lockdown just made me see things a little bit differently, you know, like just do something that you want to do. Uh, and if you've still got the hunger to do it, um, uh, that you should go and do it. And as I say, you know, it, as, as far as comebacks um, concerned, I would say it's... <laughs> I, I would say I really want to play, but with the uncertainty of the, you don't know when the tour is going to restart again. I'm kind of training and coaching at the same time. So as a, a semi-professional type yeah. of, of, of thing. So you're still working, trying to train. But I guess obviously through the year, we're going to be, I think probably January now before the tour restarts properly. Yeah. Uh, minimum, I would say. Um, so I think I've got a little bit of time to, to figure it out, whatever it is that I'm trying to do. But I mean, as far as goal number one, obviously I really want to try and do it. I mean, you know, when I get my teeth into something, I really do want to try. I mean, you probably see me many times, you know, I'm like a little, little terrier. Once I bite on something, I try not to let go. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, that's all I've, I've done. I try not to try not to give up. And, uh, but sometimes you've got to be a bit more sensible. Brilliant. I have, I reckon, 17 questions have popped into my head during, during you speaking there. So my goal now is how to get the right question. But before I move into a question, I have to say, Coxie, I, I, love, I loved it when I heard that you were back on court. You know, you're, you're a brilliant tennis player. You're a top, top competitor. And, and, and I think I, I said a lot to players who I'm involved with, whether it's in a mentoring role, friendship role, coaching role we're a long time retired and and you can't get those playing years back you know if mm. I if I wanted to play now it's just too far gone it's gone you know and it's yeah. like you know so you're you're still a young pup you know you're still only 29 years old you know you've got and already the results you know you're playing at the UK pro pro series for those listening at St George's Hill already your results which I've been following very closely show that your level is there I'm sure you want to play a little bit better but that mm. that that will come so so what an inspiration to so many people out there you know why why not you know you like you say you're in shape you're feeling good you're a fantastic player and whatever does come of it I wish you I wish you all the best with it um thank you I, I wanna I wanna jump into because you you've mentioned it and I and I was unaware of this even before the before the interview. What was it that was causing the anxieties when you were playing previously? And you mentioned it happened after Wimbledon each time. Yeah, I, I think you know as as a young as a young lad, you know when you're starting off from. I mean, I started playing you know with my dad like sort of maybe age of three, and it you know Wimbledon has already been always been such a big factor you know from 
yep. 10 years old, you, you, you know, you watch it on TV and you, you're seeing your idols play there and you're thinking, you know, I'd love to play there one day. And you, you kind of, your life goal is, is that, you know, is, yep. is, is playing there. And, you know, sort of, you play juniors and, and, and you kind of go, that's like the next step involved, you know, involved into the, the, the bigger goal. You know, so you played then juniors. I played juniors three times, and you're like, you know, and it's and it's always like it's a bit of a tease because the juniors you don't get the the experience that the the men the men's singles get. Do you know what I mean? And that's what I really wanted to experience. And so so anyway, so what happened was that I think the first time I think um, I played it, I was twenty, and it all went very quick. It all, you know, it went very quick and it was just like, you know, just went so quickly. Um, and then afterwards, I kind of, I kind of went into a bit of like, well, what's next? Yeah. And, and it, and I, I just said, I said to my coach at the time, I uh, just like, what, what, what am I playing now? You know, what, yeah. where, where do I go? I mean, obviously, because I was a wild card, you know, I wasn't then going saying like, um, well, now, you know, I need to try and aim for US Open main draw. You know, it was kind of like, okay, well, we need to go and play some challengers, maybe challenger qualies. Um, and, and I was just like, well, you know, it was just, I don't know, it was just a real like, yeah. uh, the, the, the whole mindset of it was like, well, what's next? That's my life goal done. Yeah. Um, and, and I know it sounds silly, but it's like, well, someone from, you know, outside is probably looking and say, well, why don't you try and look to play those week in, week out? Yeah, of course. You know, I'd love to play those week in, week out. But once you've achieved your life, your life, yeah. your life goal, it's a bit like you need to reset your goal. And that's why I found, I don't know why, but, yeah. you know, and I can't explain it to anybody. Um, but it, it, it happened. And it was, uh, after that, it was, it was very difficult to, to get the ball rolling again. And then I started to get the ball rolling. And then I then had wrist surgery. Yeah. Um, and then so I kind of had to reset my goals again. Um, and my next goal was to to get back to that level after having surgery. Um, and the same thing again. I was a bit my sort of conscious mind was a bit like, mm, will I ever get back there? You know, and and I and I did. And I tried so hard from I think it was about January to uh, sort of Wimbledon time to get my ranking up to uh, to sort of maybe in with a shout of getting a wild card in 2014. And um, and and I was almost too tired <laughs> once I got to that period, yep. and you know. But I, I felt second time round it was it was a better experience because I, I was able to learn from the experience of it, it didn't feel as quick as the first time. You know, I I knew a bit more what to expect, so that I I enjoyed the second time a lot more. And after that, I took a bit of a break um, to because I knew I need to reassess my goals again. Um, and after that, that's when I, I started to struggle a little bit with anxiety. Yeah. Um, you know, just not making even the smallest de de decisions. And I, and again, I can't explain why it happened. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why it was like in the morning, I just, I didn't really want to get up. Um, didn't really want to speak to anybody. Didn't want to see anybody. Yeah. Um, it was just, I, I don't know. It was just like all the pressure building up to, to getting back and all the, you know, people expecting you to do these things. And then it was just a kind of release off your shoulder, but it was this sort of the backlog of the pressure, which yeah. made me feel like that. And 
you know, I, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, this isn't the first time you've had the conversation about, you know, mental health around tennis players. And, yeah. you know, you see how, how much of it is about. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's quite easy these days. I think almost some people going, you go like, well, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon of mental health now and all yeah. like this because more people are talking about it. But it really is an issue. And I, yeah. and I, I think, like you say, the more, more it's talked about, the more people understand why things happen and can help people in the future. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think, you know, sort of when, you know, let's say for example, maybe 20 or even 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, yeah. it was almost like if you were struggling from mental health, it was almost like, well, there's something wrong with you. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's not okay to feel like that. And I think, you, I think sometimes it's okay to feel like that. It's just that you feel you need to, you need somebody to support you and just kind of help you through it rather than saying, Oh, there's something wrong with you. You need, you need professional help, you know? And, um, I, I think that, that really, I, I struggled for probably a good two months after that, um, where I just, I kind of had to take a bit of time out. And I think I, I may have took about a month off, um, and, um, try to stay with, you know, family, try and surround yourself with, you know, good people. Um, yeah, but it was, it was a tough period. And then, um, yeah, I don't think, um, I ever got back to my best after that. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I don't know whether I fully recovered from the anxiety type thing, but, um, having time off now, you know, as you mature, you know how to handle certain situations, uh, better. And that's, you know, that's why now I feel that I'm more mature in my head. As long as my body is in the right you know, state. Yes. I feel that I can deal with a lot more things, and I've had more life uh, experiences to try and overcome as some of the stuff that you're experiencing on tour life, if you like. Yeah. No, well, thanks for sharing that, Coxie. I think it's. I think people listening to that that'll that'll impact a lot of people. You know, because I think there's a lot more people that are experiencing those internal experiences than than we all realise. You know, and, and when we did the mental health awareness week at the uh, on the on the podcast, you know, one of our guests said that a hundred percent of people, their big belief is a hundred percent of people experience some form of mental health difficulty. You know, a bit like a physical difficulty, and obviously the varying intensity of that. And yeah. so, so to hear someone like you speak to that, one one of my thoughts that week, and I never got round to it, and it's something I would love to do, and it's. I wanted to get a group of guys and girls, British players, to actually discuss the mental health difficulties around the Wimbledon period. It was actually mm. one of was because I think I I actually believe that Wimbledon is detrimental to in some ways to to British tennis, and and I say that with the absolute fondest admiration for the event and someone who's yeah. played the event. It's 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 amazing, and it's not. But just because of that, I almost when we're younger and I experience something very similar to you, that the build up is Wimbledon. So yeah. so and then what and then what and I I actually stopped playing two months after that, you know as well. I I I the first time I played it. I played and, and had set points and choked and wasn't quite comfortable. Second time I played, we won our first round, lost a close match to the Bryan brothers, and that was kind of in my head me done. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'd set that ceiling. So I know exactly what you're saying. 
and and I think you know I admire that you've kind of kind of come through that. Did you have help during that period? Is that so? Did you talk to someone, or have you kind of have you worked through things yourself? You know, how bad did it get, and and what action did you take? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I often went to speak to. I went. I did go to like a GP, um, and and speak to them about just how I was feeling. I felt very low um yeah. at, at times i mean um not not as you know didn't really have any real you know bad thoughts in my head you know um but you it's just that you feel a little bit worthless sometimes yeah. and it's and, it, and you look back now and you're thinking you know when you're in a better you know state of mind and you're thinking why, why did i feel like that that's silly sure. um but um you know at the time you can't help it um sure. and and um yeah i'd say i didn't really take too much i think just talking helped yeah, yeah. it really did um to, but talking to people who will not just listen to you saying it will listen and understand um you know and, and try and you know help you overcome that and try and, and i've tried to surround myself with a lot of friends and who are trusted and that and that's i think that's what you miss when you're on tour and it's a very lonely world and you 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 find that you've got very little people to, that you can trust yeah, and yeah. your, your group of friends become very, very small because, you know, yes, of course, on, on tour, you have acquaintances, you, you have friends that you say hello to, but at the end of the day, you, they're your competitors, Yeah. you know, and yes, of course you have to respect them and everything and, you know, and, and whatever, but it's, it's very difficult to be, so friendly with them off court and you know have such a close friend that and then go and play with them so yeah. for, for me it was very much like i needed friends outside of tennis that i could trust and so that's why i did i surrounded myself with people who didn't know tennis so it didn't matter to them what i did yeah. you know uh, you know whether i won lost or draw, draw whatever it was you know they they still liked me regardless whether i won or lost yeah yeah and I think that's really important um, to have that balance in life uh, with with work and social life, yeah. um, and, and not saying you know going out partying. You know, I wasn't wasn't really like that. Um, you know, but not because you know I've, I felt like it was I couldn't do it because you know I needed to be professional because of tennis. I just never really like to do it to excess or anything like that you know like some yeah. other people would do but i mean people react differently and you know and act differently because they need to get something off their chest but for me it was just hanging around friends and just you know just doing usual stuff that i've never done since i was probably seven or eight years old yeah, you know, yeah. from the, the, from sort of 12 years old you know i've sort of had a regime where this is your week you're playing monday through saturday um, whilst at school, work, you know, doing all this stuff, and, and you have Sundays off, and yeah. then you go into tournaments in the meantime. So it's been, I think it, it was just a, a build up of everything uh, that just affected it. And as I say, just finding that right balance between just having the outside life of tennis, um, yeah. you know, just to just just to help with everything really, and uh, and, and it, it really did help, it really did. No, good. It's, it's the, I'm a big believer in this whole. The tennis world too often puts their own self-worth alongside a ranking or a result that they get, you know, and it's like, 
and 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 that I think as an individual sport and like you say it's a dog eat dog world it it tends to be there so if you're if you're winning it's amazing how um, popular you can feel and how you can feel as if you've got a whole world around you but the second you start losing or not quite getting the results that you want it feels as if everyone just disappears and, the, and that loneliness just becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And, and yeah. that's something we have to try and change in our sport. And maybe it, it comes to the federations, it comes to coaches, academies that look, these are successes, the ways of, that we measure our success. Let's measure it first on what type of person you are. You know, are you a good person? Do you have good values? You know, all of these things and celebrate those, you know, rather than just celebrating the successes on the court, because then there becomes this unhealthy relationship between win, happy, good person, lose, sad, worthless, you know, and, and it's, yeah, and, and these sort of podcasts and hearing someone like yourself speak about that, I think really goes a long way to educating people on that. So um, really appreciate you you're talking about it. In terms of, in terms of now, you're starting to play again, how mm-hmm. do you prevent yourself going down the same way now? Yeah, uh, and, it, and it's funny because I think I've made a big point of, of not trying to fall into that trap again of being so ingrained in the in the tennis world and and not seeing that the, the bigger picture um and so it's actually quite funny it happened uh, i think it was uh, maybe the f- the first day of uh, on monday this week um and I, I was kind of thinking you know i was kind of getting frustrated and i was thinking don't worry you, you know this time you know four weeks ago you you weren't even playing so yeah, yeah. What, what what are you moaning about um, and it's you, you've got to try and pinpoint like different things that trigger memories of why you're playing again. It's like, you know, well, you know, you're married now. Just come on. You, there's more to life. You know, you, you've got a home to go to. They'll, they'll still love you no matter if you win or lose. You know, it's, yeah. it's those types of things where you just, you know, your family will still love you whether you win or lose. It's not it's not a big issue. And yeah. th- that's what sometimes I like I said, my friends that don't know much about tennis, they couldn't care less whether, I, I mean, obviously they want me to win, but they could, their opinion of me isn't going to change whether yeah. I win or lose. No. Um, and, and I think as long as I remind myself of that, um, and, I, and, I'm, and it's, it's one of the top goals for me as, a com, as coming back is exactly that. It's not to get too, you know, disappointed by losses. Like, as I say, when I, uh, was playing before when I lost I didn't want to go back on a tennis court straight away mm-hmm. um, and I think that was one of my biggest faults that when I lost that memory of losing last time you're on court yeah. drags on longer and because I didn't want to go back on court I always had that memory of yeah. losing until you go back on court again and, and then you know whenever you go back on practice that's your last memory of being back on court and you know my coach at the time at the end of my career, he made a big thing for me. So when I did lose, I was, he said, do you want to come back on court tomorrow morning? And I was always a little bit reluctant. And then after I started to learn, like, okay, this isn't actually so bad. Yeah. You know, and then the next day you're thinking, you're not even thinking about the loss anymore. You're thinking about what you've just done in the practice. So that helped me a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm making a, you know, a big effort to, to try and make that my number one goal and not get sucked back into that sort of environment again. Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes it will happen because you get in the heat of the moment, but 
Uh, it's like yesterday I came off disappointed after losing in three sets. I lost 10-8 uh, in the third set breaker. Um, and then somebody told me a story about somebody in, you know, in hospital and you're like, yeah, just forgot about that loss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so some things like, you know, there's, there's bigger things happening in this world at the moment than, you know, uh, than losing tennis matches. So I think just reminding me of stuff like that is, it just helps. Yeah, no, perspective is, perspective is massive. You know, I think, I think perspective after the match, but also even perspective before a match, I think is, is a big one. You know, whatever happens today, you're not going to really remember it in two or three weeks. And I think yeah, exactly. sometimes, sometimes going into that, into a match with that mindset can, can certainly help us. You've touched on a couple of process goals there. Mm-hmm. What, where does the, the fire burn? Is there, is there a big dream, a big ambition, a big goal that you have out of, out of your playing still? Yeah, I, I guess, obviously, I'd, I'd like to... Yeah, I haven't really assessed any ranking goals as such at the moment because, obviously, no one knows when the tournaments are going to start happening yeah. again. But I'm kind of trying to give myself, I would say, a year to 18 months to get to something where that's where I'm at. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I can't set something too unrealistic and, you know, to, and say to, uh, say to people that, yeah, I want to be top 300 in six months time. I, I you know, I, if it happens, great, but I can't, you know, go in expecting that. And, yeah. and, uh, I spoke to a few people that, you know, know me about my tennis and that, and they said, yeah, you'd be silly to, you know, to, to put yourself, uh, you know, at such unrealistic goals. And if you, if you don't reach them, you, you know, you're always going to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you've got to try and find the right balance so that you are striving for, uh, you know, to somewhere that, you know, yeah. that you're going to try and achieve something. But yeah, I think that's a, a lot of people, they do have such unrealistic timescales on things and they end up being disappointed. Yeah. Um, and as I say, as long as I can keep my body fit and healthy, then for me, that's a win. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, as I say, my mindset and, um, you know, as, as long as my, you know, you know, my family can, you know, um, you know, sort of keep itself uh, uh, provided for, because yeah. uh, obviously it's a it's a big struggle, you know, as you know, you know, in some of the players that you've worked with before, that the financial reasons at the at the low end of the the spectrum is is very tough. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of one of those, you know, it's like you know, I I, I pointed out to my wife that you know at the beginning I'm not going to be earning on hardly anything. I'm going to be losing money um and um you know so i think it's just um it's kind of one of those where i'm just gonna just you know do as best as i can um and and just go from there really and then obviously set more goals as i know what's happening yeah good no i like it i I like i like uh, performance values and things like that you know you are striving to win but I, from this podcast, and I think you're number 47, 48 of podcasts in the last four months. And there's so many players that have either won a slam or been ranked really high or whatever it might be. They've talked about that value of enjoying the experience. And actually, when they look back to success, what was it that helped you? It was like, well, actually, I just really enjoyed the experience. And it sounds, it sounds quite simple, but it's, it's not quite as simple as that. But I would also say your body, your body is healthy, great, but if you can enjoy the experience and pick up more great experiences over the next couple of years, 
then it's it's absolutely success you know it's a, it's, yeah. it's a complete success um on that in terms of um your your tennis story i guess you know we've we've jumped into you we know you you played to to a professional a good high professional level we know that you've gone in to then coach for a few years and then you, you're now kind of going back to 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 give it your all again go back years and years how did you get into tennis and i know you were a very good junior as well so what was your tennis journey yeah so obviously you know when i was very young just starting out playing with my dad really um and then um my dad being an ex-professional footballer um kind of new sport and the dedication that it took um and then uh, yeah just I started you know getting a bit more not serious I guess but I started to play more when I was like you know six seven uh started to play sort of um regional events when I was eight nine and then you start playing national events at 10 11 going all through the periods um and then when I was about I think it must have been about 10 11 then we moved from Lincoln to Bolton because there was an LTA academy there. Um, and then as soon as we, we actually moved up there, uh, the academy shut down. Uh, I think they ended up shutting, I think it was Leeds and Bolton Academy yeah. at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, fortunately, um, at the time, uh, Nick Lawrence and uh, Chris Pete actually um, set up like a, a program for me and kept like the academy feel uh, for us up there so that that was uh, very fortunate and we did that for about a couple of years um i remember you that... i just to jump in i remember you yeah. very when it was what it would have been 2003 or 2004 yeah yeah and i think about 2003 yeah yeah so you were you were a little 13 year old kind of biting at our heels already <laughs> and smethurst as well it was yeah. you, you and Smevy, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because they had that. The I think it was. Uh, I think it was Dave, uh, Samuel, and maybe Jim Edgar running that full-time program there. Is that right? Yeah, well, it was just Jim Edgar actually. So Jim it was Edgar, just was it? Jim Edgar, yeah. but there was David Sherwood, Jason Torpy, Justin Lane, Richard Crabtree, Andrew Banks, Johnny Murray, and myself. You know, so there was there was a. I was there for about six months. Um, yeah. probably two thousand and three ish. But I do remember the two Dans. There was, there was <laughs> the two Dans that were coming through, um, yeah. and you you weren't a million miles away from us at that at that stage. <laughs> you already weren't far off our level at that stage. Yeah. So uh, I, yeah. And then after that, I, I don't remember the reasoning why, but after that, I think I was invited to uh, to try out Loughborough Academy. Yeah. Um, and I went there for roughly around two months. Um, didn't particularly get on with it, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. was not was not anything to do with uh, the, the people there. Just it, it just the environment wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, and I'd been going on holiday to Spain for quite a while. Um, in Marbella because my auntie's got a couple of restaurants over over there, so we've been on holiday over there playing tennis and found um, a nice club um, at the Don Carlos Hotel. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember. Daniel Marco and yeah, Andres yeah, Marco, I I do, yeah. but uh, yeah, so obviously I went over. Uh, we ended up moving over to Spain. Um, well, actually, that was shortly after I made final of Tarbs under fourteen. So I made final um, in I think it was the is it February? I can't remember when exactly yeah, yeah. the tournament was. I think it's February. 
Um, so yeah, so I was, I was fortunate enough to um, to be able to um, get some funding together to actually then move to Spain and take my program out there, wow. which I was there for roughly around uh, three years again. Um, obviously, you know, I, uh, I, I when you're over there, the, the whole Spanish sort of mentality was you need you need to play uh, men's tennis and you, you, juniors wasn't really a thing. Yep. Uh, back when I was that age so from the age of sort of 13, 14 I was playing like local national uh, tournaments you know in Estepona uh, and all this and, and and I was winning them at age 13, 14 yeah, yeah. and you know uh, and I was already very mature physically yeah. uh, at that age um, and you know with 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 being young you have no fear and no sense of responsibilities so you yeah. just went out and did it and and I was sort of a very very good level when I was that age and um you know I was as I say I was I was beating guys you know that have won national tournaments reasonably easy um and then I went to I went and played some futures when I think I may have played my first future main draw when I was still was I still 14 maybe I can't remember exactly but I, I think I was roughly around 14 turning 15 um and I think I lost in three sets or something like that. I think my first one was in Glasgow, my first main draw. Um, and then um, I was quite disappointed actually because I wanted to actually beat Rafa to the to to his first points <laughs> uh, when I was very young. And um, and then so yeah, so it went from there. So it started to play more men's events rather than the junior route. Um, right, okay. And 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 then I actually went uh, away. I think it was to India, and I got my first points over there. Uh, which obviously then allowed me to travel travel most of the world yeah. um, to to professional events. Would you do that again? Would you play the seniors over the juniors um, if you had your I, time again? It, difficult to say because after after I sort of got my points. Now I think I was about sixteen at the time. I then moved back to the LTA, okay. uh, and then I and I started to play some junior events. Okay. Um, so th then I started playing junior events and, um, I got to, I got in the top hundred in, in juniors very quickly. I yeah. think I may have still been, may have been 16 still, but I kind of got, I think I may have played like six events or something like seven events and I was top hundred, uh, or, or already in the, in the, in the junior ITFs, um, which may be the, you know, sort of playing the men's events made me. Cut, cut through that sort of like sort of the low end of the junior events quite quickly um oh. I, I i don't know but then um so I, I can't really tell i can't really advise on which way i would have gone because i i did i did play them in the end but i played men's sort of tennis yeah. first so i got my first men's atp point before i got my first junior point right you know so it's it, it's quite uh I guess everyone's different. I mean, as I say, I was quite physically mature. I'm not saying yeah. height-wise because I'm not. I'm I'm not tall at all. But you know, sort of uh, muscle-wise, I was always very yes. strong from a young age, yeah. and I was able to kind of cope. Uh, you know, with with playing against men from it from a young age, and so I don't see it being a problem if you're physically ready for it. Uh, I, Oxy, I think can, yeah. You were also really good. Yeah, I, I, don't I, forget I, I, that. I, I, Do you know what I mean? Because what I don't want is people listening who are like, 
absolute weightlifter 14 year old <laughs> that rocks up to my academy and goes well i'm physically ready but <laughs> yeah but yeah, that phone ain't going in anytime soon <laughs> you know you were you were a world-class world-class junior you know if we're, we're talking here i actually had forgotten you made final of tarps if you're yeah. making final of tarps in singles um, at this point, uh, just to let the audience know, I did win the doubles there, but just doubles, not, <laughs> not, not, not singles. If, if you're making final of singles at Tarbs, you are a world-class junior. And yes, okay, so you had that and you had the strength. But if you yeah. don't have the level, you're 14 years old and you don't have the level, regardless of how strong you are, you ain't playing futures and having success at futures. Level. <laughs> and I just want to make yeah. that point clear. Yeah, I, I mean, I think also as well, obviously now, is that a lot of players are playing longer and having, you know, longer careers that are playing into sort of their mid-30s, late-30s. Uh, so I think it, you know, it's kind of making it harder for the younger ones to come through at that sort of age anymore. Yeah. You know, you find that there's only very few players that can kind of uh, sort of cope with that, you know, sort of playing players at, you know, the age of 15, playing guys that are 200 in the world. I think it's, it's such a big jump now. Yeah. Uh, from from when I was that age, I I think um, that it's you know as I say you'll get the occasional freaks coming through that that can do it, um, but I, I don't see it happening too much anymore. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as I say, uh, you know, I, I was at a level where it was you know extremely good standard, and I, as I say, I think it was partly because I didn't have any fear. I just went for it, and I was such a a good competitor. And as I say, I. I, if uh, you know somebody came up to me now, it was you know I, I think that was my biggest um, sort of aspect um, of, of my game um, that I wasn't afraid of anybody. So yeah, yeah. you know I, I remember playing some of the the British guys. Uh, I remember Matt Smith, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I played him when I was about fifteen or something like that, and uh, you know. Um, it was as though like some of the guys like that were offended that I was even trying to fight, not fight them, but like um, trying to beat them almost. <laughs> it was, it was, it was like almost like, well, what's this little kid doing? Do you know what I mean? Why does he think that he thinks he's going to try and beat me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but that's what, that's what I was like. I, I really genuinely believed that I, I could beat these guys, even though they were taller than me, older than me. And I think that that, you know, at that age, as I say, maybe I was, I don't know, stupid or whatever, but I had no fear. Uh, whereas as you get older, sort of fear and sort of you, uh, as you mature, you start to think about things way too much. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So going back to that topic, well, you know, you know, whether you should play juniors or, or men's, it's, I think a, a good mixture of both. So you experience the, yeah. the two because, you know, as I say, in men's tennis, you get very, very little opportunities to, you know, uh, to to come through. I mean, you you get away with one mistake, maybe. In juniors, you could probably get two or three, four. Yeah. doesn't matter if you miss that break point on the line or whatever, or you miss a volley over the net. Uh, but when it gets to men's stuff, uh, and I always remember when I was at the LTA, Magnus Tiedemann saying to me uh, one time, I, I think... Um, I can't remember. We were, I think it was either I was playing or we were watching somebody. Um, and I said, uh, a guy had like a volley over the net and it was like a, maybe semi-final of a futures or something. And, um, he, and, and he missed it wide. And Magnus said to me, 
he said, can you believe that? That guy might have just lost his rent money because of missing that volley. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I was like sort of 16 years old and I was thinking, what's he talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and then you start to think about it. It's like, yeah, he actually, yeah. He, he's he probably, if he went on to lost the match, he, that's, that could be right. him losing his rent money, you know, like, yeah, yeah. And, and after that, we always kind of joked about it. But I mean, he, he kind of, it was like reality. It was like, yeah, yeah he's yeah. probably right, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that that's what juniors need to realise sometimes, is that, you know, that when they let cheap things go, go away from them like that, I think they don't realise the consequences. You miss that. In a yeah. in a men's match, the guys are going to take advantage and they they're going they're going to sweep you up. Absolutely, very so. good, Coxie. Some great insights, mate. You really are. You know, it's fantastic. And um, one question I do have for you: mm-hmm. two hundred and six ATP is is your career high at singles. Mm-hmm. Do you view that as a success? Um, at the time, no. Yeah. Um. And uh, it's difficult because I've always said that whenever I stopped playing, that I was always going to be disappointed of that I felt like I could have always done more. Like, you know, I've always said to my dad, I was like, yeah, but what about if I could have got in the ones? And he said, mm-hmm. yeah, but you'd probably say that if, if you were 150, you could have said I could have got to 120. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, I don't know, like it's whoever's 80 in the world, they probably believe that they could be 50. So he's kind of, he said, you've kind of got that attitude where you always think you could have done better, oh. you know? And uh, whereas now starting to play again, thinking back like 200, you know, you're 200 in the world, you're thinking that was actually pretty good. Yeah. But to, to get to that, I mean, that is like incredible, good, good level. And you're, and, and as you get older and you start to see the types of players that have, have stopped playing, you're thinking, that was really good level. And, and I guess you don't appreciate it until, until later on in life. And it's, it's tough for me to say because you know, I, I, don't, I don't like bigging myself up or anything like that. And, and sometimes people get the wrong idea or wrong impression of me as, you know, because I'm such a, a fighter on court. And sometimes you know, maybe I overstep the mark on court sometimes, you know, with you know, trying to whatever, but, you know, it, it, I, I, you know, off, off the court, it doesn't mean I don't respect them. You know, it's, um, I, I, yeah, as I say, just deep down, I, I don't really try and big myself up uh, yeah. or anything like that. I, I'm pretty much the opposite, really. I'm a bit more like, you know, I'm, am I, am I any good? Um, yeah. And yeah, so, um, but yeah, I mean, looking back, I, you know, from what I've, I've achieved, you know, I, I have got to be happy with it. Um, but as I say, you know, I always wish I could have gone on to, to push on from there. But, you know, that's uh, another another day. So do you think you can get over two or six this time? <laughs> um, one step at a time. I need to get my first point first. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I, need to go, I need to go back to when I was uh, 15 years old and try and get back on the ranking board. Um, uh, yeah, I, as I say, I don't want to put a number on it yet because I don't want to disappoint myself. I'm I'm quite yes. content with uh, um, just, you know, sort of back playing and, and able to kind of feel in, enjoyment out of the game, like you were saying earlier, just to actually enjoy playing for once rather than actually feeling yeah. so much pressure all the time. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, of course, I'm obviously aiming for something like that. Yeah. But <laughs> as we a bit later down the line. <laughs> no, well, no, that's smart. Then. And it, that's smart. It's a smart way of looking at it. I can't have you on the podcast without mentioning Dan Evans either. Because you, yeah. you boys, again, uh, you're born the same year. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you guys pretty much brought up together. Um, I'm a quite a few years older, but I always looked at that as a as a rivalry. You could see it coming through. What are your What are your thoughts on yours and Evo's rivalry over the years, and how he's gone on in his career? Well, yeah, I mean, if, from a young age, you could always see he was, you know, just incredibly talented, and you know, with obviously some of his, you know, his antics that he does on court, off court, whatever. Um, you know, sometimes it was frustrating for sort of other players like that work so hard, you know, like, well, if I only just had your talent, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or whatever. But it, it is what it is. People are, people are different. It's, it's how, how he gets the best out of himself. And, you know, but as I say, you could always see that, you know, what a talent if you put his mind to it. Um, as I say, when we were younger, he would beat me, I'd beat him, and it was yeah. it was all, all all up up to the way until you know he started to push on, you know, all the way up to top hundred or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you know, what an incredible time he's having at the moment. You know, I mean, yeah. it's uh, you know he's obviously uh, knuckled down and you know kept managed to keep playing. Um, We've probably kind of gone on separate paths where I probably, um, you know, I sort of wanted to stay at home a bit more. I've, you know, I've got a family now. You know, that's having a wife, uh, stepson. Um, you know, whereas I don't know, we, we, I don't really know much about his personal life anymore. But I mean, you know, he, he's at the, the period of, time, of his life where he's earning probably enough money now so that he can travel with whoever he wanted, you know. Whereas yeah. at that time I wasn't, so I was kind of, you know, we were just on a bit on different wavelengths at the end. And uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say I say I think you know he pushed me to be a, a better player, and I think I pushed him. So it was it was it it was uh, look, looking back, um, I, I enjoyed the rivalry. Um, at at the time, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think we we can both admit now, you know, that as you as you get older, you know, you start to accept people for who they are yeah. uh, and that's what I've learned you know as, as I've got older sort of the last sort of two or three years while I've been you know sort of coaching and outside of the, the playing side of the game is that you just have to accept the people for who they yeah. are if, if it doesn't affect your you know you, the, the way that you go about your business day to day then just let them get on with it yeah no absolutely it's because it, it is I think in tennis one of the things I absolutely love about tennis is the rivalries and the obviously Cox Evans isn't a global rivalry however <laughs> it it was it was a, a national rivalry in in the in your age group you know and obviously we we hear about you know we've got the Borg McEnroe's we've got the We've got the Federer and Nadal, and it tends to be quite contrasting, you know. Yeah. So you have, and, and that's what almost makes it even more interesting. But I mean, I, I know you reasonably well, and I know Evo probably a bit better. The one thing that stands out for me with both of you is what incredible competitors you both are, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's also what makes that, and probably where you guys might have come to a head a couple of times because of that, oh, yeah. because actually you just so desperately want to do well, you so desperately want to win. And here we are now, you 29, you're making a comeback. 
you know, Evo's still going, and I know he's now living his life in a in a in a really professional way now. You know, tennis is kind of yeah. what his life is about, um, and it's just fascinating for me to see how these kind of stories, how these stories yeah. develop. Um, but the the question that then jumps to my mind is because when I do think of that era, you guys do stand out in, t- in terms of competitive skills. Do you see that now that you've been away maybe for four years, as you've come back? I know it's early days, but do you think that the players are competing as hard as you boys used to? And do you see any other changes in the game? Um, yeah, I do see a big change in the, the way that people are playing now. Um, that is for sure. So going on the playing side first, I feel like the game has obviously moved on in the past few years since I... I stopped playing. I mean, like, everybody hits the ball hard now. Yeah, everybody yeah. hits the ball hard. Everybody can serve, forehand, backhand, volley, movement. I mean, movement-wise, I mean, like, when I was playing, the, you know, the bigger guys, they, they, they couldn't move. You know, but now, you know, you what teams they have, you know, they've got a physio, a, a, a fitness coach, a, a tennis coach, yeah. whatever it may be. The, the, the bigger guys can move now, just as good as the as the smaller guys like myself. So, I, I do feel these days that everybody's got everything. It just depends on one on the day, whether you're feeling good, you wake yeah. up and you feel good. Uh, you, can, you know, sort of if you're, I think that the mindset is probably almost 80, 90% of tennis now. I mean, yeah. it is incredible. I mean, you, you've just got to stay sort of kind of patiently waiting for your opportunities and making sure you're the, you're in a, a good state of mind to take those opportunities when they arise. Yeah. Because I think that's the difference between being a, an average player and being a very good player. Not yeah. whether you can outlast somebody rallying cross-court on the forum. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really think that that's a, 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 bit, a big difference now. Um, but as, as competitive sort of mentality-wise, I, I only know from my point of view... Um, I will always feel like I want it more than anybody else. Yeah. Whether that's true or not, as long as I believe that, I, I, I think that that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure Evo thinks exactly the same. As as long as he knows he wants it the most, uh, I, I don't think it matters. As long as he believes that, and I, yeah. and I would probably say that to anybody, as long as they believe that they really want it, that that's enough. Uh, yeah. Because because. Um, I agree. I think sometimes, you know, when when I was younger, maybe I didn't really go through it as some of the, the youngsters are now, where you'd probably come across some that maybe not spoiled, but come from backgrounds where it, it's okay to to kind of not give up, but like accept. Yeah. And whereas I didn't really let things go. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think you know that's what made me the, the player I was at such a young age um just not letting things go just trying all the time just to just to try and fight and um yeah I just can't I can't really explain it to somebody who doesn't have you know sort of the you know you see players like who don't really necessarily show their expressions on court it's just so like relaxed and they show any emotions and and it's it's very difficult and and, and I was like sometimes I'm like I wish I was a bit more like that because I'd probably win a few more matches. Yeah. But then, but then I think, well, I probably wouldn't win some matches that 
if, if I was like that. So I can't say that I would change my personality in any way. Um, but as you know, going back to, you know, um, competitiveness, I, I, I think it's, as I say, it's tough for me to answer for anybody else. Did you watch a lot of sport when you were young? Other, sport, um, other sports, you, you mentioned your dad who was a professional footballer. Was sport yeah. a big part of your life? Uh, it was. Um, I, I, I didn't really enjoy watching much when I was young. Okay. Um, I, I, I always liked to do things rather than watching. Um, okay. So um, I, I think I, I probably would have learned more if I'd have watched more tennis when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but you know, obviously, when you're young, you don't really listen to you know sometimes good advice. What you need to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I I enjoy watching it now, and uh, you know, because I think I understand the game a little bit better uh, from actually coaching from the other side. So you kind of work things out a little bit better. But uh, yeah, as I say, I didn't really watch too much sport when I was younger. I just kind of, I guess, it was just ingrained in me from you know my dad's competitiveness as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was just my point. I think. Going back to your era, going back to certainly to my era, I think there was less distractions in the world. There was less social media. Mm. There was less, you know, telephones, iPads, all of these things. So I think a lot of us were then engrossed in sport where, where I think then a lot of the competitive skills are picked up. You know, and, and like you say, you had it through your dad. You know, so yeah. if your dad's playing professional football, you're around that. So then that competitive skill really comes through. You know, yeah. I would even say my like my boy's nine, and he's pretty engrossed in sport in his life through through no um, choice of his own <laughs> by being my yeah. son. And um, you know that he loves his football. He loves doing fantasy football. He loves so. But I see him, he's highly, highly competitive. Whereas I see all of his friends who aren't watching sport are just playing yeah. on, you know, different whatever it might be. And, and they couldn't really care less if they win or lose. You know, yeah. and, and so that I guess it's just a bit of a theory that I've got that, you know, and I know that Evo's sport obsessive, you know, that maybe yeah. that our our era or your era, I wouldn't I wouldn't put your era the same as me. I'm a, I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe was our obsession with sport or, or being around people that are so competitive or I might just be talking nonsense. But hey, I've got to. No, you know, I, 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 kind, I kind of agree with you because, you know, it's. It's, it is, you know, I mean, I'll say my stepson, he's 16 and, you know, not necessarily him, but you see some of his friends, you know, that have, you know, on social media all the time. And, you know, it's just like, I never had time to do that. Plus it wasn't around when I was that yeah. age. And, and I'm, I'm so kind of glad that I wasn't, yeah. you know, I was sort of at the generation where I think, I can't even remember, I think. Blackberry was the sort of the the first <laughs> sort of yeah, internet yeah. phone that came out. iPhones were much later, so I am actually really glad that I missed that. Yeah. Uh, and 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 for sure, I think it's a huge distraction for for the for the youngsters, you know. And I'm glad you pointed that out because I I wouldn't have actually remembered that at all. But I, I really do think it is such a big problem now, um, you know, especially you know for sort of the, the mentality and the the um growing up as a person and you know let's say for example when you know as i say when i was 14 i was hanging around you know full-grown men that were had families and you know were trying to earn money um yeah, yeah. and uh, and and now 
you, you see players that go to events that you don't they don't really necessarily ingrain in conversation with other sort of more mature players because they're all either on their phone the video yeah. skype in some or, or whatever yeah, yeah it's just uh and i i do think it's a real problem and and i think you know it's it, as i say i'm just so glad i wasn't in that era of growing yeah. up with it you know there's a there's a it's a podcast in itself there's people that are much better at me than me at speaking and 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 also um at doing podcasts that but i would fully recommend anyone listening if you haven't heard it a guy called simon sinek who he he has a fantastic it's only about a five five minute clip on youtube all about that and all about how you know it's not really their fault but just their generation it's an instant gratification generation you know they're looking to they want everything to come easy you know because mm -hmm. that's how it is you know if you want to mm -hmm. if you want to watch star wars you go to netflix and you find star wars if you want to watch the latest box set you find the latest box set and you know, i remember going to uzbekistan if you don't mind me telling a quick story in 2003 and and i actually bought i bought on ebay for 80 pound uh, a laptop but the laptop wasn't to be to work it was to so i could put a cd in and i could watch something now i got the 24 the first series of 24 just come out and i was in uzbekistan no internet anywhere nothing you know lucky to have a bed you know in uzbekistan <laughs> and i and i allowed myself one episode every day for 24 days and and that was like the we built up to this kind of 40 minute period of the day that i really look forward to whereas now people don't watch the the first series of 24 in two days the second series in another two days and that's kind of the world that that we're currently we currently have so then yeah. how are we going to have people that are full of resilience full of you know and, and, and i would say almost almost you and evo uh, uh are the last of that that sort of era potentially you know yeah um, i agree I, I agree and it's like you say isn't it you know i think you 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 sort of problem solve a little bit more and we had to because it was like you say the convenience of things now is people don't even have to think yeah you know like you say oh well i want to watch a program okay yeah netflix turn it on but it's it is what it is you know like you have to go through the whole process of okay right i'm going away to a country where there's probably not going to be much going on i need to go and buy a laptop like you did and i need to find something that's going to entertain me you know while i'm there whereas now it's like wi-fi is there this yeah. is there you know got video calling no problem whereas you know when i was traveling I, there was no netflix no, nothing so we all had to fill our time and and probably some of that, some of that actually um you know i don't know helped us become the competitors that we were because we always had to problem solve you know we always had to find solutions for different things you know you, you couldn't just uh get, go online and find out the nearest restaurants you actually actually go and you know yeah, yeah. go and find something you know i remember going to to russia once and i went to moscow uh and went to moscow train station there was no signs in english at all i mean like zero uh yeah. there wasn't even like a little picture of a uh, a ticket booth to show yeah. that that was where you bought the ticket and, and and it was just it was just insane i mean like now i think if i mean obviously they must have changed now because obviously you know everywhere you know people a lot of people speak english and i know english are very lazy with languages but um it was it's just like you know that people will have signs there now in english but i just think now what what would the the younger generation do 
if yeah. if they had these problems. And you know, I I do feel a little bit sorry, you know, for the younger generation that they've they've been kind of brought up on convenience, yeah, which is actually. <laughs> Uh, destroying their maturation you know it's yeah. uh it, it, it's a you know I, I feel i don't know if it's me but i always felt much more mature than my age yeah, uh, yeah. even now for example yes i'm 29 but i actually in my head i actually feel like i'm 45 yeah you know and uh, and, I, and i and i think that that's just from traveling from such a young age and having to problem solve have to sort things out myself you know and i had to trying to communicate in different languages where you know we didn't have google translate or you know yeah. whatever um so uh, you know actually you know, i'm kind of glad that I, <laughs> I i had to go through these things and 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 it's brought to me you know to where i am now yeah no good and, and at the at the risk of being old fuddy duddies to to any of you youngsters listening i'm sure there will be some research done in a few years time to all the benefits of, of, of all that convenience as well. You know, I think there we'll probably see there's always two, two sides to that argument. And I'm sure that we'll see that some of those things are also helping them in some way as well. But I think there is a couple of really good points there that we've, that we've brought up that are well worth mentioning. Coxie, last question. I know you've got a match, you've got a match in a couple of hours and um, <laughs> not that you're, you need to get yourself stressed over it, but I know you yeah, need to. This is taking to, my mind off it. It's good. <laughs> you need to prepare yourself. Um, in terms of coaching, how yeah. how do you think that's now helped you as as a player? And do you feel that you're seeing the game a little bit different because you've had that three four years coaching experience? Yeah, I think so because um, it helps me understand why players do certain things in certain situations, whereas before. I think I won a lot of matches just because I was a good hitter, uh, not necessarily a good tactician. I think I've learned more from trying to teach people things. And, yeah. I, and, and I sometimes think, I wish I'd have done that more when I was yeah. a player. Um, so I think it really has helped me um, sort of understand, you know, like, for example, um, understanding, you know, how a player is feeling when they're 40, 15 down, you know, and, you know, let's say in different certain situations and you, I, I don't know, it just helps me definitely see the different side of it and go, well, why did I feel like that? It should be feeling a bit more optimistic about it because I don't know, in certain situations, but um, de definitely in terms of the mental side, again, going back to the mental, again, it's, um, it's crazy how much it comes up, but it's, for me, it's really important that, that you understand why you do things. And, uh, and I think it's helped me sort of, even like these last few weeks just to kind of okay well if you do that this will happen you know and sort of set out as more of a structure rather than just kind of play along with it yeah so uh, no i think it's helped me a lot and also i think it's helped me um m mature and sort of accept that some things aren't always going to go your way and you've yeah. got you've got someone else the other end trying to to fight their corner so you it's it's one of those where you you have to accept that you know, we're looking back at stats that you're going to lose between 40 and whatever percent of the points at least. Even yeah. if you win one and one, you're still going to lose 40 to 42 or whatever percent it is of the points, which yeah. is nuts really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you can win a set 6-1 and you can still still lose however many points. It's, it's, yeah. it's nuts really. But uh, yeah, I think just may, basically staying calm through, through the... Uh, through these periods of uh, of 
stressful situations in matches is helps you take those opportunities. And I think that coaching has a, allowed me to uh, to sort of plan that out in my head and what I need to do. And who do you play today? Uh, I play a guy called Tom Hans. Don't really know much about him, but um, yeah. And in terms of you going in with a match plan, mm-hmm. how 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 do you how do you approach a match? Um, well, I guess now, um, well, my, my main focus is obviously uh, these last few weeks that I've been playing, you know, such uh, bulk matches in such a short period of time is actually keeping my body, body in, uh, in good condition. So I've been really having to look after my body. So that kind of takes my mind off, off sort of the stressful things, uh, you know, the buildup of the matches. So I'm having to take care of that, making sure I'm doing, you know, warm ups correctly. Um, you know, lots of mobility exercises. So that just just making sort of, sort of that I have a routine to think yeah. about rather than thinking of other stuff in my life that's going on at the moment. Just make, you know, making sure that I ha- I'm very clear in my mind. Um, and and sometimes I think it's important not to have too much of a a structure, uh, so that if it doesn't happen, that you know that you're not like, oh well, I, I didn't plan for that. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be a little bit more, I think, vague. With your, uh, with, with your plans and kind of go out and sort of focus a bit more on what you're going to do and what you're, you can, yeah. can kind of can control. Yes. Uh, whereas I think a lot of people, they, try, they, they go out trying to change, change their game too much to, to their opponent's game, whereas actually you need to try and change your, your positives to try and exploit their weaknesses. I think a lot of people yeah. are focusing on too much of the opponent's weaknesses. Yes. Um, whereas, you know, for me, I, I feel that uh, if I've got my game in order, that will allow me to kind of work things out sort of uh, not as I go along, but sort of especially if I don't know somebody, yeah. uh, or, you know, plan, plan A is, you know, you go out and play your game, yeah. isn't it? You know, and then it Absolutely. problems arise and, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I think with all good players, Coxie, it's exactly that. It's I'm going to put my game on the court. This is, I know my game really well. This is what I'm going to do today. You know, this is my mentality I'm going to have today. And then maybe you fit that narrative into exposing a weakness of the opponent. Yeah. But I know when I ask a player, so what's your plan today? Boy, he's got a great forehand. Oh, so I'm not going to hit yeah. it to the foot. Well, the match is done. <laughs> you know, they're completely, <laughs> they're completely in your head already. And, and we, see, we see that. So it's nice to get that little insight as well. So the best of luck today. Best of luck the yeah. next few weeks. We do have a little quick fire round that we have, which is tradition. So okay. if you don't mind, um, if you have to be quick. Right, That's okay. whatever comes to your head. Uh, <laughs> 30s or 20s? 20s. Oh, you can't say that. You're nearly 30, mate. <laughs> uh, hey, hey. Uh, serve or return? Return. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. US Open to go ahead or not? Not. Injury timeouts or not? Yes, injury timeouts. Playing or coaching? Playing. Indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. And one rule change you would have in tennis? Oh, don't give me that in quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no, that's a horrible one. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't. I, I don't know. Pass. 
Can you pass? <laughs> no passing allowed. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's difficult. Um, no people over six foot five. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Cox, you've been a legend. Honestly, it's... Uh, I've learned loads talking to you. I'm sure people will learn a lot listening to you. And, and I truly mean a, a massive good luck. Go out there, enjoy the experience. Yeah, two years, three years, four years. Who knows? I know you're a world-class tennis player and uh, I look forward to, to seeing you along the road sometime. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. Cheers, man. A massive thank you to Dan Cox. And also a big well done to Dan Cox. Uh, we spoke to him on the Tuesday or Wednesday of, of last week uh, when he was playing the UK Pro Series event. And one thing that struck me was how relaxed, how calm, how in control of everything that he seemed. Um, he seemed like he was in a really positive mindset. And it's no surprise that then the byproduct of that was he went on and actually he won the event. Only his second event back, beat some fantastic players. And then I know he's competing again in the in the classic, the UK Pro Series Classic this week. And I know he's already had a couple of fantastic matches this week. So big well done to Dan and good luck the rest of the week. And obviously good luck the rest of your career as well. It was great to have you on and for us to speak to somebody who's in the middle of a tournament and, and to see that you really do feel how, how a player is and where they're at. And, and often it is how they are off the court and, and how at ease they are with things. And it just goes to show the importance the importance of that as well. Uh, so, so well done and, and thank you, Dan. A big thank you to all of you. Um, a big shout out to our next couple of guests we have coming up. We have Bruno Gudu and Juan Bos, who both Spanish coaches that have both spent time in the UK and we're going to be looking at some of the differences between Spanish tennis and, and British tennis. Uh, not to say anyone's better, but we want to get into the detail of what does make them different and, and what are are the, the better parts of each culture. And I think that's going to be really interesting. Then we have Lewis Burton, who's going to be coming on the show. Uh, Lewis spent some time at the academy, was a fantastic player. Uh, has gone on to do lots of things off the court as well, um, and Lewis is going to be a is going to be a great guest. And just a little bit of a tease. I I don't know if we can definitely get him yet, but we're getting closer to getting the one that we want. And uh, he was a certain British number one for many years. Uh, he made five out of six semi-finals at Wimbledon, and. Yeah, we're making a big push to get Tiger Tim Hemman on, on the podcast. So if anyone out there knows him well, um, give him a little nudge. We've got we've got our people talking to his people and uh, things are looking positive. But let's see if we can get that one over the line as well, because he would be a wonderful person to, to have on the podcast. Anyway, I'm hopping on. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for supporting. I'm Dan Keenan. My co-host is John McGann and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>